Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Dear Father, this is my prayer. That our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And we'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Love for you to pray that for us for me, for our church family. Um, so uh, <clears throat> two of the, the earliest, earliest church leaders, um, a man named Paul and a man named Timothy wrote, uh, wrote the book that we call Philippians. Originally it was a letter that was meant to be read aloud. So what they basically did come together for a church service and then they would just read this letter. They spend the whole time reading, reading this letter that, uh, that, that Paul and Timothy wrote. Uh, Philippi, it was, it was, uh, I think Penny just said Philippi is a city, um, and it was, it's actually a city that was named after, uh, Philip II, who is, um, Alexander the Great's father. Uh, I thought that was, that's super interesting. So, um, when they wrote this letter, there are several themes that they wanted to talk about when, they, they were, it was, it was, he was trying to address, they were trying to address something. Um, and, you know, first they were talking about identity. Church was brand, brand new. They didn't know what a church was hardly. And so they were saying, this is kind of, this is what I mean when I say the word church. Um, second, they were talking about, uh, what radical unity looks like. Um, we all, in our culture and all, we, we often use the word unity. Um, and we mean all, we all, we all mean different things when we say it. Throughout the book, he has to clarify what he means by unity. And then he talks about their suffering. Um, at that time, they were suffering um, because of persecution and all kinds of different things. And so they, Paul and Timothy, they hit on these three themes over and over and over again. One of the things I'd love for you to do uh, throughout this time that we're, we're going to be going through Philippians is is read Philippians through this. Only four chapters. It's relatively short. Read Philippians through and then look for just themes of identity where Paul and Timothy are trying to say, here's who you are. Here's who we are. This is what, this is what it means to be a, a church. This is what it means to be a, a Jesus follower. And then a few next week, we're gonna, we can say, okay, let's look, read Philippians, just looking for where he's talking about unity um, and bring those out, draw those out, dwell on those. Um, I, I often don't read like that. But when we read like that, you can see a whole bigger theme of what he's trying to cover, what he's trying to say. So in the very first verses that, uh, that, that, that Penny just read, um, they, they announce or they make it clear. They say this, 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 this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ, uh, uh, <clears throat> to, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. I'll read that again since I'm butchered it. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons. Um, 
I think it's really interesting that this is how they introduce themselves um, or identify themselves. Uh, it, it was not that long ago when people would write letters. Uh, and when we would write letters, we'd put our names at the end of the letter. And sometimes you'd add a title or something like that if you thought that title would help get, get the point across of what you were trying to say. So the only point um, in, in ancient times when you'd write a letter, you wouldn't sign it at the end. You sign it at the beginning. They start off their letter and they, the only point they want to make about who they are, what they're about is Paul, Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think that's interesting. And in reality, the word servant would be better translated slave. Um, there are several versions of, of the Bible that translate it this way. Listen to this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Or this letter is from Paul and Timothy. We are servants owned by Jesus Christ. Um, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of King Jesus. Uh, uh, so... For this context and what we're talking about now, I like the word slave better than servant um, because it's it's radical. Um, it, it makes you be like, whoa! Wait. It, it makes you it makes you go past it. Um, and clearly, it, at least one reason the translators moved away from from slave to servant is because of you know the nearly two hundred years of slavery in our country um, and the way that you know. Slave owners would justify American slavery by using the Bible. I shared a, I shared a whole message um, that's dedicated to talking about how the Bible has been misused to support the cruelty of slavery. So if you have questions about that, I'd love to share that recording with you and talk with you more about it. Um, but for our purposes today, um, let me say this. The same word that Paul and Timothy are using to introduce themselves as slaves in Philippians 1 is the same word that you've seen in the Bible before where it says slaves obey your masters. They're exact same Greek word being used. So when Paul and Timothy are introducing themselves as servants of Jesus Christ, he's just using that same word when he says slaves obey your masters. They're the same, same, same thing. He means for people to take his title and his introduction radically. Uh, to, to, for the people to be like, whoa, that, that's your introduction? One who gives himself up to another's will. A person who's, who's about extending and advancing their master's work. Um, uh, some, somebody who, who disregards what they want to do for somebody else's agenda. So, so some of you guys know that I, I lived in Nashville for a while. And I got to, uh, to work behind the scenes in the country music industry um, as an intern. So um, marketing people, publicists, managers, songwriters, studio musicians, stylists, assistants, folks to work on their online presence. It is staggering. It is, you, you would not believe how many people go into making one person look good. It is, it is, it is staggering. So, you know, if, whatever somebody, whatever, Taylor Swift, she, she's got just... It wouldn't surprise me if she had hundreds of people working behind the scenes to make her look and seem become off like she comes off to to all of us. Um, some of those people, you know, some of the people that I worked with came to Nashville with the intent of having their own music careers. Like when they showed up, they were saying, you know, I want to be famous. I want to have my own music career. And as they got there, they, they, they transitioned from doing that. Maybe they thought they couldn't make it or maybe they decided they didn't want to do it. But they transitioned from, from doing, you know, living for their own interests. 
so they could promote someone else. They gave up those, those dreams. And I, I was one of those people. I don't even like country music that much. But I was there as a part of that machine. Um, and and while, I, while I was at work, you know, what I preferred, the music that I preferred wasn't even relevant. I was there. I was devoted to another's interest, to, to the disregard of my own interests. Paul is talking about that and way more. Paul and Timothy are talking about that in, in something far, far. That's why they use the word slave, because they want people to be like, what? It would, have, it would have been jarring for them to hear that kind of language. He's not talking about an intern or an employee or somebody who works somewhere but gets to go home at the end of the day, who would do whatever they want. He's talking about somebody owned by being the property of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy are saying our whole being is taken up by that. I was just talking with my friends before we did the worship service. Imagine, imagine 200 years ago being a slave and being released from slavery and then coming into a church service and hearing somebody like Paul and Timothy introduce themselves as slaves. Jarring. I just got out of slavery. The letter, um, in the letter, Paul points out how unusual it is for someone to have slave dedication, slave-like dedication when it comes to Christ. And he, Paul's talking about it, and he points to Timothy and he says, he says, listen, you guys, it is very, very unusual for someone to act like a slave towards Jesus, that Jesus Christ is actually their master. He says this about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. I have no one else like him who shows genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests. That's not what slaves do. That's not what slaves do. We just talked about when you're a slave, you set your interests aside and your interest, your only interest is the interest of the master. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks up for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. So the slave identity is all over the book of Philippians. And again, this is why I invite you to go back and read, read it again and look for the slave identity that, that, that Paul and Timothy introduced themselves with and say, they signed their letter, hey, slaves of Jesus Christ. But just pause and think about that for just, just think about that for just a second. Um, what if when you go to work tomorrow, you you go you watch places, you get to the end of your email and you say, slaves of Ford Motor Company. Like when people read that, they're gonna be like, it's gonna be jarring. Like, what kind of statement is you trying to make when by saying that out loud? It's radical. When, when Paul and Timothy introduce themselves this way, they're introducing themselves in a culture where there are slaves. And so when they say that, hey, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, you know that the slaves in the room, they hold their heads a little bit higher that day. They say, Paul's a slave? I'm a slave. And the slaves in that culture, they know more, they know more about what it means to live for the interest of someone else than the free people do. Free people could hardly understand what it means to live for the interest of somebody else. There would have been different kinds of slaves there. We talked about this before. There are different kinds of slaves that happened that were 
in that culture. Some slaves would have been doing menial work that anyone could do, but often very, very hard. Other slaves would be like slaves that were um, doing uh, civil service for, the, for Rome um, and had very important roles. But either way, they would perceive themselves as less than free people. Um, either way, their freedom, their, their lack of freedom would have made their position uh, shameful uh, compared to people who were free. And they were, you know, you, we've talked before about slaves were low on the social status chart, looked down upon and often, you know, taken advantage of. So for Paul and Timothy to sign their letter this way would have ele- elevated their status. They would have said, all of us are slaves, Jesus Christ. All of us are, all of us, all of us, all of us are trying to be like those of you guys who are slaves in this room. We're all trying to be like you. We're all trying to copy you. Slaves is our identity. And, and in normal circumstances, that would be discouraging to walk into a room and say, hey, everybody, we're slaves. That sounds yucky, especially with all our, all our slave baggage on our shoulders. But being a slave to Christ is anything but that. It's defining. It is empowering. It is the best, best, best life. And for, for people... For people who thought too highly of themselves, I'm sure that Paul and Timothy do this on, pers- on, on purpose. For, for people who thought too highly of themselves when they introduce themselves as slaves, they're like, I'm not no slave. I'm free. Paul and Timothy go even further. And they give them this. They say, Jesus Christ, though he was God, did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Listen to this. It says a different version. It says, he put aside everything that belonged to him and made himself the same as a servant who is owned by someone. Like obviously in our culture, that's we don't, being owned by someone. That's gross. We don't like that. When Paul and Timothy announced that they're slaves and that they're, they're saying that we're, we're, we're taking, we're not just, we're not introducing ourselves as slaves. We're saying we're taking, we're doing, we're doing exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came up, he shows up and he says, guess what, everybody? I'm going to be a slave to my father. I'm going to be a slave to you. I belong to you. I belong to you. Jesus' life, like the life of a slave, is dedicated to the agenda of his father and his master. So when Jesus comes to earth, he constantly says things like this. Listen to this. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those, none of all those he has given me, but to raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. In the, in the time just after the resurrection of Jesus, there are several ways you could become a, you could become, become a slave. You could be kidnapped. We talked about this. Like, you could be kidnapped. The Bible speaks against this. If you look closely, the Bible speaks against this. Like, we, we talked to all, we, we talked just a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about what I said before that American slavery could not have existed if people were taking the Bible seriously because American slavery is based on so many slaves being kidnapped from Africa. 
could not have happened without that. So if, to, to try to make the case that the Bible somehow supports American slavery is, is not correct. So in ancient times, you could become a slave because you owed someone money. So if you owed money, you could say to the person that, that, that you owed, you could say, hey, I will work for you as your slave until, I, until my debt's paid. Another way that you could become a slave is if you were, um, you could be purchased. So one context where that might happen is if, if my nation uh, came in and conquered your nation and I was about to kill you, and someone came in and they said, hey, hey, don't kill them. I'll buy them off you. I'll buy them off you. I'll, I'll make them, I'll make you, I'll make these people my, my slave. Another context that could happen is uh, where if I owed you money, and I committed my life to you. And I said, hey, I'll serve you until my debt's paid. And then someone else came along and said, hey, I'll pay their debt if I can take over as, as their master. Another context where uh, someone might be, uh, become a slave. If that happens, so let's say that if that happens, let's say... Uh, I owed you money. I came to you. I said, hey, listen, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be your slave until my debt's paid. And then somebody else came along and they said, hey, I'll pay Daryl's debt, but he's going to be my slave now until, he, until he's got it paid off. If that happened and my new master said, hey, I'm your master now. I said, I'm not, I'm not doing what you say. I decided that I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to do what I feel like doing. My new master would be upset, of course. And he'd say, she, she, you know, she, she, she might say something like, hold on. I paid your debt. I'm your master now. I paid your debt. And so you, you can't go alone doing whatever you feel like doing. I paid your debt. I set you free to be working for me. Because of sin. Because of sin, we've all racked up a debt that we can't pay. And the, the payment of sin is death. And, and we are at war. We are at war with sin and we're losing. It's going to kill us. But because of the blood of Christ, we are bought and made free from the punishment of sin. And because of his blood, our sins are forgiven. His loving favor to us is so rich. The plan was for Christ to gather us all together at the right time. If we are in heaven or on still on earth, he will bring us together and be head over all. So Jesus paid our sin debt and then he brought us together and created the church out of this he created this, this church out of this, this people who owed him everything and made us a sacred community. He made us a holy community. And this, is, this is the thing we share in common. We are all slaves to the same master. He, brought, he, bought us, uh, he bought our freedom with his blood and now we have the right to choose. And this is kind of different from the slavery that would have happened then. He bought us, but then he says, now you get to pick. Now you get to pick. Now you get to pick what you want to do. But if you decide to follow Jesus, know this. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Jesus bought you. He set you free to do whatever you want to do. But if you want to follow Jesus, then know this. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. And that means honoring God with your body. So Paul and Timothy, they begin their letter to the Philippians with this kind of clarity. They're saying, hey, let's make it clear about who we are and what we're about. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. 
Slaves of Jesus Christ. Let's introduce ourselves that way. Slaves of Jesus Christ. If you were a slave, you wouldn't lead with that, right? There are things that, are, that you are that you don't lead with. You don't begin with. They do. They say, and they say it's, it's core to their identity. The slaves of Jesus Christ, his agenda is what we are for. His, his, all we are. They, 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 they actually say in their letter, for us to live is Christ. For us to live is Christ. His agenda, his business, we are not our own. We don't do what we want to do. We don't buy what we want to buy. We, we, we put everything we have into, into following him. So if you're not a Jesus follower, this is not your concern. This is, you don't, you have other concerns, you have other things, but this is not, you know, this is not for you. You don't, this is for Jesus followers. This is for Jesus followers. So if you are a Jesus follower, then we live lives dedicated to Christ and others. We do not belong to ourselves. We do not belong to ourselves. And, and Paul teaches all throughout the Bible that we belong to Christ. We, we were bought by him. We belong to Christ. But not only that, not only that, in the Bible, all, other times Paul says, not only do you belong to Christ, but if you're married, you belong to your spouse. But again, no, just, those are words in our culture that we hate. We don't like hearing that. But first, if you're a Jesus follower, you belong to Christ. If you're married, you belong to your spouse. And third, if you're a Jesus follower and you're part of a church family, then you belong to one another. We belong to each other. So he says it over and over and over again in different ways. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to Christ, to your spouse, and to other Jesus followers. You are not your own. And clearly, clearly this is radical and countercultural because we're, we're told to, to do what you want and follow your dreams and, we're, and we, are, we are like what Paul says when he says that everybody looks out for their own interests. I don't got anybody like Timothy. Everyone, everyone's more interested in doing what they feel like doing. But this slave identity this slave identity should form, um, it should form how we spend our time. It should it not just how we spend our money. Um, it should form not, not just, we, we're not just about more stuff and better stuff and better vacations and living more comfortably. Um, that's not our master's agenda for us. That might happen to be what we get to have as a part of our journey, but that's not, that's not an agenda for, for our lives. It's so hard because everything around us is telling us the opposite of that. It's so hard. I, I get sucked in all the time to doing my own, what I feel like doing. A popular slogan in our culture, often related to the abortion industry, is, is my body, my choice. So for our, for our conversation today, let's, just not, not, let's not just limit it to, to abortion, the conversation. Let's apply it to lie, our lives in general. Like, that's how we tend to live. This is my body. This is my choice. This is my life. I'm going to do it. And if you're not a Jesus follower, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It's your body. It's your choice. It's your life. But if you are a Jesus follower, that's is not true. And, and when we step back from it, we know we all know that. If you're a Jesus follower, you know that it's not true. This is not your body. This is not your choice. This is not your life. You are bought by Christ. He says everything. Everything you is all him. It's all his. 
You live for your master now. It's his life. It's his body. It's his choice. What does he want? In every situation, in any situation, we are his slaves. So when it comes to, when it comes to becoming a holy community together, we have to ask the question, what does he want from us? And I find myself dreaming about what our, what our church family could be, but I am terrified to pay what it would cost to have it become that. What does he want from us? When we think of slavery, we can only imagine something awful. If you're like me, that's why when the word slavery comes up, I can only imagine something awful. And that makes sense because that's what we've seen. We've seen, you know, throughout history and our lives, we, we do, all we can imagine is something awful. And slavery is terrible if you have a terrible master. So as we prepare to take communion, I, I want to share with you an example from the Bible, from the book of Exodus, of a kind of slavery that we don't know anything about. We know nothing about. It says this, listen to this. This is a rule for when you have slaves. Um, if you were Jewish back then, it says, <clears throat> when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. In the seventh year, he shall go free for nothing. So first of all, they say, basically, you can't have a slave for life. There's a limitation on how long you can have this slave. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh year, he shall go free for nothing. But if the slave, if the slave plainly says, I love my master. I will not go free. That's offensive, right? Like, and again, I mean, you guys know, but you guys might not know. When you get, you get into black, around black people and you suggest that this could ever happen, that there could be, you could be a slave and that you could, there could be a context where you was like, you know what, I love my master. I don't want to go free. That's offensive and awful. And there could no, they, you're brainwashed. You don't know what you're talking about. This is what this says. If the slave plainly says, I love my master and I will not go free, then the master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or, or the doorpost and the master shall bore his ear through with an awl and it shall be his slave forever. So apparently... There were these situations where slaves, the situation, the situations were so good that slaves said, I don't want to leave this situation. The seventh year came and you say, okay, you can go free. And they're like, no, thanks. I don't want to. I want to stay right here with you. They'd willingly choose to be owned by a master who was so good they didn't want to leave him. And maybe in human world, you can't imagine that, but let me suggest to you this. Let me suggest to you this. Jesus Christ has set you free with his blood, free from the slavery to sin. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And today, you can choose, that. I can choose to say, I don't want to be free. I love my master. I don't want to be free. I want you to be my master forever. 
Today we can choose that. We can choose that. I won't be free to make my own choices or to run my own life or to say this is my life or this is my body or this is my choice. I, I'm, I don't want to be free to do that at all. I want Christ to run my life. I want to invite you to that. Because when, when Paul and Timothy are writing Philippians and they start things off, they say, listen, that's what we are at your service. In order for this to be true for us, you guys, in order for this to be true, there has to be times in our life where we pause and we say, is, am I on the right path? Is this where Christ is calling me to? Am I doing, am, am I doing any decisions according to what Christ wants or am I doing this just for me what I want? Because all the, all the pull in our culture is to that. Run our lives and do what we want. But Christ is saying, I want to make you free. And the way to that kind of freedom is that opposite world, I surrender, you be my master. As we take communion together today, I want to ask you, and again, this is, this is a big ask, and so if you're not ready, then you don't do this. As we take communion together today, I want to ask you to, to, to do what Paul and Timothy are saying, to put on that identity. Especially if you're a Jesus follower already, to put on that identity and say, I am a slave to the master, the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you want done? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to move? How do you want this to go? And agree to live something, agree to living for something bigger and better than yourself. To live for, for, to, to live as slaves of Christ for his kingdom and not our own. Love for you to decide that. And Jesus, Jesus set the pattern for us. Let's pray together. Um, Dear Father, everything in our culture pulls us. It pulls us toward living our own lives and doing our own thing. And in the end, that's not what we're going to want. We want... We admire and we look towards people who live their lives for others. We love it. We love it when other people do it. We certainly love it when other people do it for us. So I pray that you would teach us how to do it for you and how to do it for each other. Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to embrace the identity that Paul and Timothy lay out in their letter to to, to Philippi. Slaves of Jesus Christ. Slaves of Jesus. Everything in me wants to, wants to run away from that title, that identity. Everything in me just recoils at it. Instead of recoiling, help me, help us to embrace it. Embrace it. We are your slaves. Help us to take that as radically as you, you meant it to be taken. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.